If you can say this morning that God is faithful, just repeat that phrase with me. God is faithful. Let's say it again. God is faithful. But you know, I wonder, I wonder how people in other places who name the name of Jesus Christ, how they can still say that when life gets really, really tough. And that's really what we're thinking about this morning with this message about being faithful to the Lord until the end, until our deaths here on earth. And I was reading this this last week about three different stories around the world. First, one that I read about is from Open Doors to Ministry to the Persecuted Church around the world. It was about this young teenage boy. He was a follower of Jesus. He came from a family who followed Jesus. He was 16 or 17 and just moved to a new school there in Pakistan. And, and it's required in all the schools that there be a, a course on Islamic studies. And the first day he went to school, um, he didn't have the right uniform on, was mistreated. In fact, one of the teachers even slapped him in the face. And it was hot and, and you know, he wanted a drink of water. But in their society, uh, very similar to the Indian society of a caste kind of system, in their viewpoint in Pakistan, a very predominantly Muslim country, um, this fact that this teenager was a Christian meant that he was on a lower scale. And so this young man went to get a drink of water and got bullied by another teenager who was a Muslim and threatened. And this young boy went home and and told his parents, I, they, I don't like this school. Uh, they don't um, believe in what I believe. And, and he goes to school the next day. And, and for whatever reason, the teacher wasn't in the room. And he went to get some water. And started getting beat up. And was beaten by that bully. And knocked him unconscious. And killed him. Or about the church in China. Golden Lampstand Church, a mega church in a very poor district that raised $3 million to build a massive worship center. 50,000 believers would gather to worship in that facility over the weekend just a few days ago because that church wasn't registered with the government because they chose not to have government oversight and government interference the authorities used excavators, dynamite, and blew that beautiful sanctuary to pieces. Or the mother and wife in Ethiopia, which has a strong number of believers, but she lived in a very strong Muslim part of the country. And she came out of Islam. She wanted to follow Jesus. But as soon as she did that, she started getting threats from her husband. And in their culture, they have a plurality of wives. And so uh, he, the husband didn't spend a lot of time with her. But the time he spent, he beat her, screamed at her, told her to come back to Islam. She refused. She asked her church, what should I do? Her church says, let the authorities know. So she wrote letters to the authorities. Authorities claim they never received any letters from her. They turned a blind eye to what would happen next. She had received some aid from the government to help their family in need and 
and her husband demanded that she turn that over and, and she refused. And a, a neighbor and then her husband beat her to death. But her two sons, one was 17, one is in his early 20s. They said, if, if our mother is willing to give her life for this God, this Jesus, we want to follow Him. <laughs> and in her village, the people speak about this hero, Workatu, that's her name, as one who's like Stephen in the Bible. Great is thy faithfulness. Can we say that? When times don't seem good, when we face struggles, when we face persecution, when we face adversity, can we say, God, you're still faithful? That's the question that the church in Smyrna had to answer. So what do we know about the church in Smyrna? If you have your bulletin, you can look on the insert. There's a, an outline. And Richard, project upon the screen the map of Smyrna. We're in this series of renewal. And we're listening to what the Spirit is saying to His churches. And Pastor Jerome this morning knew that I was preaching. I'm assuming he knew I was preaching out of Revelation 2 and 3. And he kept saying in his sermon, you know, Listen to what the Spirit is saying to the church. So in this series, we're learning about different physical churches in Asia Minor. Last week, we looked at Ephesus, the leading city of the region. But Smyrna would beg to differ because Smyrna and Pergamum, they wanted to be known as the leading cities as well. And Smyrna was a magnificent city. Large population. Strong trading and a port that was there, harbor. They were very wealthy. We also know about Smyrna that there were two temples that were built there. The first temple ever built to worship Dia Romana, the, the female personification of the Roman Empire, was built in Smyrna. Six other cities around AD 20 or so vied for the privilege of building a temple in honor of Emperor Tiberius. You see, the Romans had a very diverse culture. And their idea to have Pax Romana, to have the peace of Rome, was to try to unite all these different people groups with religion. And the thing that made the most sense was worship Rome. Worship whoever is the emperor there. So Smyrna was a hub for emperor worship. And that's why the church in Smyrna dealt so much with persecution. What else do we know about the church in Smyrna? Well, we know there was a sizable Jewish population in Smyrna. And number four, we also know about Smyrna that the earliest recorded martyr of the faith outside of Stephen in the book of Acts happened to an aged old bishop, a man named Polycarp of Smyrna. Church history tells us that Polycarp was the last disciple of the Apostle John and gave his life for the sake of the gospel. 
If you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 2. The idea this morning, the phrase is faithful unto death. Faithful unto death. Last week, we saw how Jesus spoke to the church in Ephesus and commended that church for the many things they were doing well. Yet he said, I have this against you. You've left your first love. And seven churches, five times, Jesus will say, I have this against you, church. But for the church in Smyrna, Jesus will say nothing that he has against them. They probably weren't very large. We know they weren't wealthy. We know they suffered. But Jesus had only words of commendation for this faithful church that was faithful to the Lord like their leader Polycarp was to the very end of his life. Look at Revelation chapter 2 verses 8 through 11. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days, you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death. And I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. In these brief verses... Jesus gives us encouragement how we might, as His people, be faithful to death, faithful to the end of our lives. There's one prayer that I long for in my heart. I just want to finish well. I just want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. First, This is all about Jesus today because the book Revelation is all about Jesus. He is the centerpiece of this book. Jesus, number one, is the first and the last who died and came to life. Now there's a formula, there's a pattern to all seven of these churches. And that formula talks about to the angel, the angel being the angelic being assigned to the churches. Some scholars would say the angel simply means messenger, could be the pastor or the leader of that church. And then we we hear about Jesus in the next few words in all of these churches. And what do we learn about Jesus? We learned last week that Jesus was the one who holds the seven stars and he, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, Revelation 2.1, that Jesus walks among the churches. Jesus knows us. He's with us. He holds us. This week we learn what? Revelation 2.8, that Jesus is the first and the last who died and came to life. And when the Bible repeats something, it's important. Look at Revelation chapter 1. Verses 17 through 18. If you missed the sermon introduction a couple of weeks ago, 
It also was a message all about Jesus. How Jesus had a, John had a vision of Jesus. And how does John respond when he sees the risen Lord in all of His glory? Look at verse 17, chapter 1, Revelation. When I saw Him, I fell at His feet as though dead, but He laid His right hand on me. So what is Jesus going to say to him? What can He say to this apostle? The last time he'd seen Jesus, he was there with, uh, with Mary at the cross. And then he saw Jesus again after the resurrection. He saw Jesus ascend into heaven. Don't you know John, the beloved disciple, wanted to see Jesus just one more time. But when he sees Jesus this time, all he can do is fall down. We need to be real careful. Because I know we all have questions. And I know that we go through hard times. And sometimes we'll say things like, well, when I see Jesus, I'm going to ask Him this. Listen, when we see Jesus, we're going to fall down, church. When we see the one whose eyes are like fire, we too will fall down before Him and worship. So what will Jesus say to this Dead man before him, he says these words of encouragement. These are the words that Jesus wants us to hear today. He says, fear not. No matter what's happening in your life, in this world we live in, fear not. Do not be afraid, the Bible says. Jesus says, I am the first and the last. And the living one, I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. You can hang your life on those verses. Jesus has the first word, and Jesus has the final word. Jesus is the Alpha. He is the beginning. All things hold together through the Son of God. Jesus has always been eternally God the Son. Jesus is the beginning, the very first word, the very first. And Jesus will have the final word. Jesus will have the final throne. Jesus will have the final glory of all the kingdoms of this world. He is the first and He is the last. And He died. He died, but He's alive forevermore. And He holds the keys. Whatever you're facing in life, Jesus holds the keys. Well, Pastor, I can't get through this situation. Jesus holds the keys. He holds the keys of death. He holds the keys of eternity. He is alive right now, walking among this church. Jesus is alive. And because He is alive, He is the first and the last, then we have life. He gives it to us. This phrase, first and last, is, comes from Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6. Where Isaiah will say this about the Lord. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. That means the Lord of heaven's armies. I am the first and I am the last besides me. There is no God. Don't you know the church in Smyrna needed to hear that there was no other God but this God. That as Rome would say, 
Worship Caesar. Give him glory. This church would say, Jesus Christ is Lord. Besides me, there is no God. Number two, Jesus knows what we're facing. He sees things as they really are. He reveals the truth of every situation. Look at Revelation 2.9. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Jesus says, church, I know your tribulation. I know where you are. Maybe last week you were embarrassed about where you were physically, emotionally, spiritually. Jesus knew where you were. And Jesus loves you and me wherever we are. He knows. He always knows. Jesus knows. And Jesus sees things as they really are. You see, this church was very poor. Why were they poor? Probably because they were persecuted by the businesses in Smyrna. Because they refused to bow down and give worship and burn incense to a Roman leader. They were persecuted in business. They hit these believers where it hurt in their pocketbooks. And they were poor Jesus says, I see the real situation here. I can see through all that's happening. You're rich. You're rich. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says it's much harder for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God than anyone else. We need to humble ourselves, become like children, and be poor in spirit. This church was rich. Because Jesus saw. And Jesus saw. He knew they were being slandered. Being slandered. By people that they had more in common with than really the Gentile pagans around them. This church had a connection. Jesus was Jewish. The first sermons in the book of Acts all came out of the Old Testament. The first church used the Old Testament as their Bible The Jews used the Old Testament as their scripture. They had a connection point. However, persecution can come from those in life who should be the most supportive. A husband who should have at least listened to his wife when she found Jesus as Lord and Savior in Ethiopia. He's the one that put her to death. The Jews of all people should at least have some sympathy toward these followers of Jesus, but they did not. In fact, Jesus calls them what they really are. They say they are Jews, but are not. But are a synagogue of Satan. Listen, Jesus has a way of cutting through the mess and speaking the truth to us. Jesus has a way. We know this from the Matthew's gospel. That many will say to me, Lord, Lord, on that day. Lord, I I prophesied in your name. I did this in your name. But Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you. 
Jesus sees through. He sees through our games. He sees through. He has mercy. He comes to us where we are. He loves us. He cares for us. But he is a judge. He is righteous. He is holy. And he saw these Jews for what they were because even Moses talked about a circumcision of the heart. That was the true followers of God. Those who weren't just circumcised externally and as a Jewish rite, but those whose hearts were right with God. Jesus sees through and knows things as they really are. Now, I've got several scriptures that I put in your insert. I'm not going to read them all. I'm just going to summarize them from the book of Acts. But if you want to know a little bit of what this church was dealing with in Smyrna, Read those chapters in Acts. Because in Acts 13, the church sends Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey. And where do they go as they leave Antioch and go to different places to establish Christianity? They go into the synagogue. Paul was a Jew. Paul was raised a Pharisee. He knew the Scriptures. He connected. And early on, there was good results People responded to the gospel. Acts 13, we see that many followers of Judaism began to follow Jesus. But there were those who were jealous. And from then on, the Apostle Paul will have to fight not just with enemies of the state, but have to fight against the very people that he was so burdened to see come to know the Lord Jesus. Paul says in the book of Romans, if I could just be accursed, if I could lose my life, that my fellow Jewish brothers and sisters would know this Jesus Christ. But they turned their back on Paul. Acts 14 talks about Paul going into a new community and sharing Jesus. And how did the Jews respond? They stone him. They think he's dead. They drag him out of the city. But miraculously, Paul survives a stoning that Stephen, just a few years earlier, didn't survive. And we come to the end of Acts 14 and we see how God was blessing the church. And Paul really summarizes in 2 Timothy 3. So turn there if you have your Bibles. 2 Timothy 3. He tells young Timothy, near the end of his second book, he'll tell him great scriptures, a verse about the man of God being adequately equipped for every good work. That the scripture is inspired of God. Just a few verses before, he says in verse 10, You, however, Timothy, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. And that, those are found in those Acts passages which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There's two reasons, maybe three reasons, why we may not face persecution. One's just the mercy of God. God just has mercy. He chooses to not allow us to face persecution. And that first point is kind of connected to the second truth in that God in His mercy places us in locations where we're not persecuted. And we live in a country where we have freedom. 
these followers of Jesus in China, Pakistan, North Korea, they come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and they face persecution. It is just part of what it means to follow Jesus. So it's God's grace, God's mercy, God's blessing, letting us be in a country where we're not persecuted yet. But third, we could not be persecuted because we're not living godly lives. Ask the question in your insert. Could it be that we are not being persecuted because we are not living godly lives? Could it be that we, unlike the church in Smyrna, are blending into society instead of standing out as shining lights, pointing people to Jesus, to truth, to righteousness? Three, Jesus sovereignly directs our future, overseeing our testing, tribulation, and persecution. Look at verse 10, Revelation 2. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. It's the same thing Jesus says in Romans and Revelation 1.17. Fear not. Jesus says, fear not what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He's already told them, I know your tribulation. Well, guess what, Smyrna? You're about to have some more. But Jesus is sovereign over persecution. He's sovereign over injustice. He's sovereign over our testing, over our trials. And here he just tells them what's about to happen in mercy. It reminds me of that final night before Jesus will go to the cross. And Peter says, Lord, if everybody else denies you, I never will. But Jesus says, Peter, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed. And when you return... Go and strengthen your brothers. Jesus knows Peter's going to fail him, yet he prayed for him. He warned him. But like Peter, so many times we fall down, we mess up. All of us do that. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yet, God knows even through our trials, He prepares us for them. He gives us grace in the moment. I've got some sub-points here about suffering. I want to share just during your insert. Um, unjust suffering is difficult to embrace, but we are called to live through it because we follow the one who suffered unjustly for us. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. Excuse me, 1 Peter 2. Oh, what a passage. This is marvelous. 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll start in verse 19. Peter says, For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges 
justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you are straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Have any strayers out there? I know I've strayed. We serve a God who rescued us. A God who gave His life for us. And because Jesus suffered unjustly upon the cross, we too can follow in His sufferings and experience those same sufferings and embrace those things and let those things occur because we know the One suffered unjustly for us. God gives grace both to believe in and suffer for Jesus. Philippians 1.29 For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him but also suffer for His sake. So God's grace comes to us. God says I've, it's granted to you to believe in Jesus but also to suffer for His and another sub-point to think about this morning. Put it up there, Richard. I lost my notes. So, anyway. <laughs> Jesus rewards us with the crown of life when we're faithful unto death. I put two more um, sub-points in there about how God's grace is sufficient for us. It is. That we suffer and go through hard times, yet God, Paul says, I can deal with insults, I can deal with distresses, I can deal with all these things. How? Because I know this. God's grace is sufficient for me. God's grace is sufficient for us in our sufferings. Last truth is this. Jesus rewards us with the crown of life when we're faithful unto death. You see, Jesus rewards us. He gives us a crown of life. And that's what the last verse of our passage talks about in Revelation 2.11. Look there. The Bible says, Revelation 2, 11, these words. Verse 10, excuse me. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation, but be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. What is the crown of life? It's eternal life. The Bible speaks of the crown of righteousness, the crown of life. James 1, 12 has this to say to us. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. I want to receive that crown. I want you to receive that crown. I want our church collectively to receive that crown of life, eternal life for those who know Jesus. John Stott writes in his commentary, True, hear the call to faithfulness rather to faith. But we need to remember that faith and faithfulness are the same word in Greek. This is because it is from faith that faithfulness springs. Trust in Christ and we shall be trustworthy. Rely on Christ and we shall be reliable. Depend on Christ and we shall be dependable. Have faith in Christ and we shall be faithful. Faithful if necessary even to the point of death. You want to be faithful unto death? Rely on Jesus. Depend on Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Because he says in verse 11 of our passage, 
He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Are you listening this morning, church? Listen to what he says. The one who conquers, the one who endures, the one who makes it through that tribulation, that persecution, that suffering, the one who endures their spouse dying of cancer, the one who endures their child losing the job, the one who endures... In other countries, the loss of someone who names the name of Jesus Christ, the one who endures until the end will be saved. And how do we endure to the end? Only because Jesus has endured to the end for us. And as we lean upon Him and trust in His righteousness, His grace, His Spirit will give us the grace to hold fast and endure until the very end. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. What's the second death? You have to go to the end of the book. And there John talks about being thrown into the lake of fire. It's death that's beyond physical death. It's eternal death. And we'll be free from that. We'll be saved from that. As we put our faith and trust in Jesus and are faithful unto Him as His people until the end. Oh God, would you give us the grace this morning to be faithful unto the end even until death. We don't know what's going to happen in our country. We're at a crossroads in so many ways. Even the past few decades, so many things have happened so quickly. So many changes have occurred. Our hope is not in any political party. Our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is not in any government solution. Our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is not in our economy. Our hope is not in our military. We thank God for their bravery and faithfulness, but God, our hope is in you alone. We trust you. Lord, as we conclude our service with a song, my prayer is that this song will become our theme this year as a church. That you would heal our land. Spirit of God, that you would fall upon us in such a way that we would draw near to you, that we would repent of our sins, that we would be your church. This morning your Holy Spirit was unleashed in our early service when that humble man of God stood and opened his heart to our church and his own congregation and says, I want to love you, I want to know you, how can we come together as God's people in unity? God, and you blessed His outpouring of His heart. And God, now we believe You're moving in our church. We believe You've spoken through Your Holy Word. Jesus, You've been exalted. I pray now, Jesus Christ, that You would draw all men and women unto Yourself, that we would sing this song together, and that You would heal our land, heal our hearts, Spirit of God, move inside of our lives. Let us be faithful unto you until the very end of our lives, even unto death. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a new song. I know you have a service. You don't do new songs at the end. That's not what you're supposed to do, but we're going to because God has put this song on my heart that we sing it together. It will be new. But this, this, If you don't know it, you probably don't. Just, just listen to it being sung Look at the words. It's a prayer that God would fall upon us in the power of His Spirit and heal us and change us. We need His grace this morning. We've gone through such a season of loss in our church. We've lost so many wonderful people to death, to cancer, 
to ALS, had parents lose their children. Well, God, we need His grace this morning. May God give us His grace as we call upon Him, as we draw near to Him this morning. Let's sing this song together. Would you stand with me? Maybe this morning you have a decision to make. Maybe the Lord has spoken to you about something in your life that you need to repent of. Maybe you just need help. You need prayer. This altar is always open. I told the early service, I'm, I've been trying for two and a half years to get you to come down to the altar. <laughs> we'll keep trying. May God by His Spirit lead us to this altar. Let your place of where you're sitting, standing, be an altar unto the Lord. Worship Him. Obey the Lord. Hear what the Spirit is saying to His church today. I'll be here to receive you for any decisions you need to make.